Welcome to Dining with Jews. Uh, I'm Nick Kindler. I'm Motek Sherman. And today we visit Kaplansky's Deli in downtown Toronto. The question is, is Kaplansky's any good? Well, that's not quite the question, Nick. The real question is, is Kaplansky's any good for the Jews? Ah, you are correct, sir. To answer that, listen to this. Yummy. Oh my god, it's so mm. good. Mm. That is good. Mm. That's awesome. Oh! <laughs> this smells me this. Mm. It's so flavorful. We didn't get black cherries. You can't drink water with deli. You gotta drink black cherries. Or Chris Holtis. What a great meal. Fantastic. So, today on the show, why smoked meat in the Jews? How does it all connect? We also go back and discuss the deli of our youth here in Toronto in the 70s and 80s, the golden age, if you will. We hear from the man himself, Zane Kaplansky, and how he brought smoked meat back to the downtown core of Toronto. And we have other great, exciting segments that we can't wait to share with you. A little song, a little dance, a little seltzer in our pants. Woohoo! First up, let's talk about that meal again. Oh, you know what? I am so glad that I remembered suddenly that it is a crime in most uh, states, provinces, cantons, territories not to have a delicious, tasty, carbonated beverage with your smoked meat. That was an amazing catch. Now, I had smoked meat. You had the tongue. Oh. Now, we also had our producer, Nadine Bell, who was raving about the soup. That's right. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, kudos to Nadine in general. We'll Lovely just, and we'll, talented we'll talk and little, raves about soup. That, that meat was amazing. And, and, and tongue and smoked meat, both regular fare in the modern Jewish deli diet. I was asking, why? Why smoked meat? And uh, so I decided to go to the source. And it turns out that the source was sitting across the table from me. Now, Mo, before... That's right. Legend in his own mind, Motek Sherman, <laughs> telling you people all about the smoked meat. Now, listen, you did a great explanation. You shared an amazing explanation around why smoked meat, why... It's tommy. my theory. Like, this hasn't been borne out by any data or evidence. It's just my theory. Uh, you want to just add a quick correction, correct? I do. You know, I was so overcome with the tongue fumes that I forgot... You were that... tongue-tied, if you will. Oh, I can't believe you went there. <laughs> <laughs> he went, to, he went there, to, ladies and gentlemen. To. He went there. So, um, yeah, so what happened is I had this notion, and it, I just dropped the ball. Pickling and pastramiing are very different things. And I know this. I've actually pastramied like a turkey before. I had a thinly sliced by my butcher. It's a lovely thing. Pastramiing is a dry rub process. Pickling, wet rub. You, you, you put the meat in, in juice, and it, they're completely separate. So when you hear me talking here, understand that I was overcome. I was tongue-tied. Oh, God. Oh, you said it yourself. But, but let's listen in as we eat our meal, and Mo kind of talks a little bit about the history of smoked meat and pastrami. And so the laws of kashrut, of making something kosher, which means that you were allowed to eat it, because mm -hmm. Jewish law is very strict about what you're allowed to eat. Mm -hmm. With meat, um, there can be no blood. No blood whatsoever. Which is why a kosher steak is a, a nightmare. It's a complete disaster. Sounds tasteless. It, well, it is. It's like eating shoe leather. And then it doesn't matter. You can use the best cut of meat. But if you have to cook it all the way through, you've lost it. Mm -hmm. There was actually used to be a kosher restaurant, a kosher steakhouse in New York City. And they would serve you rendered chicken fat in big um, uh, uh, pitchers 
that you would pour on the steak. Oh. And that's where the flavor would come from. Oh. So if that's true, if you have to get all the blood out of it, then you gotta use tougher cuts of meat and make them tender. And the way you do that is by smoking, brining, pickling, and those are the three, that's the big three, right? So the, the, the smoking is smoked meat, yeah. and the brining is corned beef, right. and the pickling is pastrami. Actually, it's pastramiing, but it's okay. similar. And uh, so, but why Jews? Uh, because we've got these rules. Other people can have beautiful so rare saying, meat. So you're saying? We have to get the, the weird pickle. The, the way to get the flavor, because of our um, messed up. Well, or enlightened. Because of our enlightened dietary laws. You don't want us to get hate protect mail. us from rare steaks. You don't want us to get a hate mail at info at <laughs> diningwithjews.com. <laughs> That's true. That's right. Send your hate mail and your love mail to info at diningwithjews.com. Now, back to Motak and pastramiing. Because of our kosher laws. Yes. And because we, everyone wants to have flavor in their food and in their life. Yes. Smoking, brining, and a pastramiing. Pastrami pickling, but yeah, pastramiing. Pastramiing is you take a dry rub with right. a lot of flavor right. and you rub that in, and no. but it's got it's got to have something in it that it will soften like it takes or long tenderize. Time to do these things. All those things. Now, how does that work when you're on the run uh, through the desert? Oh, okay. Now wait a minute. We're talking different time scales here. I know, but I just had to throw it out. All right, you're right. There probably was not much smoked meat, unless that's what manna was. Manna from heaven. Yeah. Was actually smoked meat. <laughs> I've, nice. You know, you heard it here first. Very nice. That, can theory. you imagine? Yeah. Okay. And frankly, Zane's smoked meat is like manna from heaven. It is. It's incredible. And Mo, in the 70s, when we were growing up in Toronto, manna was everywhere. There was delis all over the place, and we got to go, thankfully, to so many of them. It was amazing. You know, our arteries aren't thanking us, but our psyches are, right? And, 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 and back in the day, in the downtown core in Toronto, there were Switzers, there were Shopsies, there was Myers, there was Ginsburg and Wong. Remember oh, Ginsburg and I Wong? I do. I remember the portion sizes were out of control. Oh, they were insane. And, and they're buffalo chips. And the, they would give you a sundae in a measuring cup. It was the, it was a whole different attitude about food and about about going out as a family. And it's it's gone. And then, you know, luckily now there's a happy ending to the story that, that you got a guy like Zane Kaplansky. One, one man. man, that's right, standing one, alone. He appears out of nowhere, a beacon of light, if you will, to the Jewish people in Toronto. <laughs> and beyond. His, and we'll let him talk later, but what, I, what blows me away is every time we go in there, there's, there are so many non-Jewish, they don't appear to be Jewish. I, I might have misread it, but, and I remember talking to him once about when he first started up, his core clientele anything it was club kids now before we do talk to him you did a great little precy if you will of the Zane Kaplansky story while we were eating in his restaurant so let's listen to that Zane had a dream uh, and the dream was to bring back old-school downtown Toronto deli and uh, ends up following his dream which is to serve deli to people and he's doing it in the back of the Monarch Tavern just off College Street in Toronto and uh, it's an after-hours bar, and what you used to do was you would go to a sandwich shop that was around there and come back, and they would let you eat your sandwich there. So there was, there was this place called um, San Francisco, and I think there was California, also sandwiches was there. Yeah, yeah. And you'd go and you'd get your sandwich and eat there. So Zane was basically harnessing that and selling his sandwiches at the back of the Monarch Tavern, and it was a phenomenon. 
So then he went viral. He was one of the first guys that I would showed up on my radar that was doing that. That was like sending information. You'd have to go on the website or Facebook to find out when, if there was meat, was there meat this week? And he was running out of meat. Like I went there one time. There's no meat left. And uh, it, it was just a, a, this magnificent subterranean thing. And then uh, he got so big that it, he had to move to New Dig. And, uh, and this, this was is it, it right? Yeah. Yeah. Motek, an excellent summary of the story of Zane Kaplansky. Thank we you, were, sir. <laughs> we were treated to more than just fantastic smoked meat and mussball soup that day. Zane actually sat down in a chair and told us his story. And now, that's not an easy thing to happen because he is constantly in movement and going. And so getting, getting to sit down was not easy, but we did it. So without much further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Zane Kaplansky. What's your influence? Where did it come from? You know, where, where are you from originally? I'm from here and, and uh, from Toronto. Uh, grew up with the deli tradition downtown. My papa, uh, my mother's father, used to take me to Switzer's. He was in the, the Schmutta business, the women's clothing manufacturing business. Down on Spadina? On Richmond Street, just off of Spadina. And I used to help him on Sundays in the factory. I'd sweep up or I'd uh, sharpen pencils, hand out candies to the customers. Uh, when I was older, I'd be flyering outside. And uh, it's funny, a cousin, a cousin pointed out to me that he would pay me, my papa would pay me a nickel a pencil for sharpened pencils, and he would buy pencils by the pallet load just so I would sharpen them. And the pencils didn't cost a nickel each. Was not a very good business person. Did not really understand <laughs> efficient labor, and, but he loved to have me there. And we would, oh, nice. we would work together, and then we would go to Switzer's for, for homemade sandwiches. Bernice was always our waitress. We would have cream soda, which was our secret. Couldn't tell Nana about the French fries and the cream soda. That was not on his diet. In the summer of 2008, I had people, uh, friends of mine, coming back from Montreal, and I asked them all to bring me Schwartz's, and none of them did. Oh. And it just, it was like You don't this, talk to them anymore, I think. No, it's they're, 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 they're dead to me now. But it was the genesis of this because I was waiting for one guy in particular to come with, with uh, my meat. And I was at the Poorhouse Pub on, on DuPont Street. And I threw a bit of a fit. And it was like, why can't you find this here? What's, what's wrong with this city? You can't find decent smoked meat in the city. How hard could it be? You know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a deli, I'm going to smoke my own meat, and it was like a, it was like a, one part epiphany, one part, uh, revelation. Like revelation, one part, it, was almost, it almost felt like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one, it was, one, one part, yeah. um, like all genius yeah. it was like, it was almost as if I was letting myself in on a deep, dark secret, that I knew, like I've worked in restaurants for many years, and I knew I wanted to have my own, but I didn't know what kind. And then it, in that moment, it came out. And it was almost like this moment of clarity where, where the path was clear and it all made sense. And uh, I went online and I bought a, a smoker and I bought a brisket and I figured out the curing part and I created my own spice rub. And the very first one, that, that, the, the person I was with at that pub was Charlotte, who was my girlfriend at the time. And uh, I'll never forget the, the moment where, you know, it's a two-week curing process and you're, you're checking the smoker, making sure the temperature's right, and it's, it's all guesswork at first. You know, you trial and error. 
But the first, I took the first one out, and I remember calling her on the phone, and I was like sobbing. I was, I like it worked. It was, it was pink and beautiful and black nice. on the outside and and smoky and a little too smoky and a little bit, you know, not spicy enough and changed stuff over time. But it was like the realization of a dream. I didn't have any terrific forethought. I didn't, I didn't really understand what I was getting myself into, to be honest. And the way the, the media and the word of mouth and the way the whole thing sort of tipped um, has been way beyond any dream I ever had. Like I couldn't have, have conceived that things would happen as big and as fast as they have. Probably the most important lesson I've learned in life is that it's all about the journey. It's all about the process. And I think that smoked meat is a process-heavy food. If you go for the manufactured, injected, industrial version, it doesn't have that magic. When it passes through as many hands as it does here, between the receiving, the curing, the spicing, the smoking, the steaming, the slicing, and the serving, and all of these people have to care about every part of that process, that that's where the, the, um, the magic happens. Every sandwich has a story. And it's, it's not a short story. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because this isn't just food. This is soul food. This is, people come here for a bowl of matzo ball soup and they have a certain expression on their face. You know what they're looking for. You know, there's, there's um, a woman who came in not long after I opened she said to me, my mother's in the hospital. She's not going to get out of the hospital. She called me this morning. I need kishka. And when a, when a dying old woman, Jewish, needs kishka, what she's looking for is a taste of a bygone era of people and places past. And for me, I get goosebumps telling the story because it's such an honor to be able to be the person who I know exactly where to go. And when you want that bowl of matzo ball soup, or the pickled tongue, or the smoked meat, or the cabbage borscht, or whatever it is, I love being the guy, the go-to guy for that stuff. So part of what we do here is nostalgia for people. Part of what we do here is, is soul food. Part of what we do here is introducing Jewish food to people who've never had it before. And uh, and frankly, I think I like those people the best. You know, it's always. Jews fetch a lot. It's it's uh, yeah, and, and, and it's, it's not like grown it, up on it. Like that's that's, that's the issue. Yeah, yeah they no. have a, a reminiscence of what it was. I was this talking about because I grew up in Toronto. I would go to Switzer's. I would go to Yitz's, yep. and that was where post university I would go with my brother and hang out with their friends. Yeah, and that to me is it's got a home feel, right? Like a, and it, I said the Kanish there or the Kishka may not actually be the best. But it's because I have the history and the yeah. experience. I'll tell you a great Yitz story. Uh, when I was the monarch, I called Yitz to, to come and, and check the place out and be my guest. And, and uh, I really wanted to meet him and get his approval. Because he's like one of the godfathers in the He city. is the godfather yeah. of Delhi. He used to manage Shopsies for many years, and uh, for 25 years. And then when Shopsies sold out to Lieber Brothers, um, they helped finance him in his new place. And Yitz... Yitz loves, lives, and breathes Delhi. So when I came, to, when, when he came down to the Monarch, he walks in. It's a wet. He said, "What day are you not so busy?" I said, "Wednesday." 
he walks in, there wasn't a seat to be had. Like, the place was crazy. Getty Lee is standing at the bar because he can't find a seat either. I move a couple of people aside. I find he gets a couple of seats. And he, he looks, he says, who are these people? These aren't Delhi people. Like, what's going on here? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like kind of like the field of dreams. You know, you build it, they will come. And they came. Zane, who are the folks who may be listening to this eventually who have not experienced Delhi? When they come here, what should they order? Well, the, the smoked meat sandwich is what we're most famous for. And, uh, and I always think that that's a great starting point. But we have the Koplansky platter. So if you're two people, the platter really gives you an opportunity to taste all of our selection of, of uh, house-made meats. So the grilled salami, the smoked meat, the pickled tongue, the smoked turkey, the chopped liver, with some bread on the side. You have to have pickles as well. Uh, the soups are, are uh, wonderful here too, so I always recommend the soup. And, um, you know, and... What would be your favorite like, food to put on that's not, like, it's not deli even related? What would be your indulgence food that you would put on there? You well, you know what's funny? You'll often see me do it. What I love to eat, it's not on the menu, I take one of the little ends of breads, and I scrape it across the cutting board, yeah. and you get the fat and the yeah. spice, yeah. and it just has the most incredible flavor. That's amazing. And in, in older times, they used to serve something called speck, which is the fat trimmed off the, the brisket, uh, uh, doused with, with paprika, and then re-smoked, and then served as, as a, a smoked fat sandwich called speck. You know, Jimmy Kennedy, when he came, he said to me, you're doing the thing here that every chef restaurateur strives for, but few ever accomplish. This is cool. Yeah. And cool is one of those things that if you try too hard, it'll never happen. If you tell people how cool you are, you're not. And um, because it came out of necessity, I was broke. If I had the money to open a proper restaurant, I wouldn't have opened in the Monarch. But it was a genius move, but not strategic. Not I didn't think, you know, what would be cool? I thought, I've got $2,000 to my name. How can I open a restaurant with $2,000? Well, I know of that kitchen. I can go in and uh, and see if they'll let me operate out of there and make a good deal with them and see where it goes. And it worked. It just worked. And uh, I got lucky. Wow, what a great story from Zane. And thanks to Zane for sitting down and chatting with us. You know, he doesn't just make meat. He makes meat we like to eat. <laughs> What a great way to finish that was the show. Off the top of my head. With a rhyme about the deli. Wonderful. Uh, for the record, it's been a pleasure for this Jew to sit down and dine with that Jew over there. Uh, and you know what? Amen to that, my friend. That was Nick Kindler. This is Motek Sherman. We've been dining with Jews. Thank you very much for listening. We leave you with one final segment Motek's Megillah. Have a great day. So, one time. Well, if we're not eating, I'm going to have another French fry. One time the Tsar is, uh, is conscripting Jews. And uh, so he sends out his, his guys to go and bring them into the army, and you serve for 20 years, and that's it. Yeah. And he wanders into a village, and as the guy who's going to do the conscripting wanders into a village, he starts passing all these trees, and the trees, there are bullseyes painted on the trees, and there are bullet holes in the dead center of every single bullseye. And he says, who's the guy 
the chocolate was this. It was this marksman. And and the person he's talking to says it's the rabbi. And the guy's like, the rabbi? The rabbi? rabbi is a marksman of this quality? I must meet him. So they bring him to the rabbi and they say, Rabbi, this man is from the Zari, he wants to meet you. And so the guy says, Is it true that you shot all those bullseyes? And the rabbi goes, Yes, yes, that's exactly true. I shot all of them. And he says, I, I, I don't believe you. You have to show me right now. He goes, sure, I'll show you my technique. So he goes out, he takes his gun, he aims with his gun, side of a tree. It's not his gun, because Jews weren't allowed to have guns, but he okay. borrows it from the guy who runs the city. And he fires the gun, boom, right into the tree. And then he walks over to the tree, he takes a piece of chalk out of his pocket, he draws the bullseye around where he shot the tree, and he goes, see, hit one every time. <laughs> <laughs>